running, it was like my therapy, right? It gave me the space to think through so many tough situations that I was dealing with. It gave me a place to, you know, set goals that I could work for that really kind of helped when I was going through this huge transition. It was kind of like the thing that was stable when everything else was an upheaval. And I leaned into it and it just, it felt so good. It brought the joy back. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. and welcome to episode 33 of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of TheMotherRunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today we hear from Hadley Sorensen. Hadley was an athlete of mine, and she's going to talk about overcoming a drinking problem. Now, I don't want to say alcohol addiction because she was not addicted to drinking, but drinking became a big part of her life, and so did the so-called mommy wine culture. And then she realized it was a problem, and running helped her move past having alcohol be such a prominent spot in her life. She's very brave and open, and I really think Hadley's story is helping a lot of people, especially women, navigate the complicated relationship that we may have with alcohol. So I wanted to give her another platform to share her story and hopefully help others. So we will get to my interview with Hadley in just a moment after this short message from our sponsor, Runner Click. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Hey, Hadley, it's great to see your face. Hi, it's so good to be here. I'd like to do something a little bit different this podcast. I would love for you to be the one to read your bio. Are you comfortable with that? Sure, I am happy to. Okay. You want me to just dive in? I would love for you to just dive in. Okay, so my name is Hadley Sorensen, and I'm a wife and mom of three amazing boys, which basically means that I have a PhD in potty humor. (laughs) I'm also a lifelong runner and a writer working to publish my very first book, Confessions of a Picture Perfect Mom. I've been in the fitness world for years, and I'm great at preaching about all things health and fitness, but I didn't always take good care of myself. Alcohol was like a dark cloud that sort of followed me around. My relationship with alcohol was always toxic. Through college, I embraced the binge drinking scene, and then I slipped right into the mommy wine culture. I was what's now referred to as a gray area drinker, not physically dependent and only really drinking socially, but still consuming more than was normal or healthy. No one would have ever suspected I had a problem, but I felt like I was experiencing alcohol differently than everyone around me. Instead of just laughing off my hangover and moving on, I was drowning in shame and self-loathing after each drinking episode. 
about a year and a half ago, I was reaching a breaking point and I knew the way I was feeling wasn't normal. One Sunday, I woke up with a crippling hangover and I just knew it was time. Something in my heart was screaming that sobriety was the right choice. Instead of feeling like I was making a sacrifice, it felt like this whole new beautiful life was about to unfold. I was left feeling empowered and excited for the future, and I also felt healthier and more vibrant than ever. Running was a big part of my process to find a new normal and navigate the world without alcohol. And now I feel a need to share my story with others with the hope that I can be a voice of experience for someone else facing these same struggles. So now I'm doing that through the book that I'm hoping to put out there in the world soon. And I'm also working with an up and coming app called Lived, whose goal is to really provide a fresh perspective to people who are looking into their relationship with alcohol and trying to make a change. So I've become a guide for them. And it's just all been an amazing experience. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm just like... I'm a huge fan of yours. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, even before Aww. you ventured on this journey. And I just think that it's just so courageous and brave for you to just, you put yourself out there and you do it in such a non-judgmental way too. And so when you're reading your bio, like a lot of things strike me, first of all, I also believe that I have a PhD in potty humor. <laughs> it's a skill. <laughs> it's a serious thing. You know, but we'll keep that out of the podcast, this beautiful skill. I'll try. <laughs> I don't know. And I don't even have three boys. I have one boy and one girl. And I will say my eight-year-old girl, even though it upsets her when I'm like, you're really into potty talk. She is really into potty talk. <laughs> yeah. <it laughs> and I heard real. they never grow out of it, actually. As, well, oh, boys. it's getting worse because it's getting more... <laughs> intense. It's getting kind of more crude, right? As they get older. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, I got news for you. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't know. I haven't found like a way to end it. I mean, maybe I should just embrace it and, you know, I'll say all the potty words and then maybe that'll make it uncool. Like when mom's doing it, that's embarrassing. I'll just stop. Yeah. It's like, if you can't beat them, join them. I don't know. Exactly. So I'd like to start with, you said that your experience with alcohol you thought was different than other people. So you were feeling shame. Do you think that's unique to you or that you were self-aware enough to know that this is something that does not feel right and I need to change it? Whereas you, other people maybe are just trying to like sweep it under the rug, move on and not face a problem. That is a great question. And I can say, I did think it was just me. I thought that something was wrong with me, right? I would look around at all my friends and like I say that I was an enthusiastic social drinker, right? I drank the same way everyone around me was drinking. And I'll explain more later why I kind of qualify it like that. I'm not like avoiding the fact that I had a problem. I had a problem, but my problem was a problem for me, right? I don't think it was me being self-aware. Now what I realize is that lots of people feel this way, mm -hmm. right? But no one who looked like me was talking about it, mm -hmm. right? I would hunker down after a night out of drinking and everyone else seemed to be fine. They laughed off their hangover. They went on with their life. And I wanted to crawl under a rock and die. And I felt all of this shame and regret. And I was always promising myself it would never happen again. 
And I thought it was just me. I thought something was wrong with me because really we've been sort of trained to think about alcohol very in very simple terms. We've sort of been trained to think that either you're an alcoholic and you need to go to AA or you're fine and you don't have a problem and you can drink with no issue. But really there's so much gray area there and there's so many people that fall in that gray area. And after starting to tell my story and talk about it, I realized there are so many people that are in the same boat, right? And that was a big part of what led me to want to write this book because, you know, as I was first kind of figuring out who I was without alcohol and first walked away, I was reading all of the amazing quitlet books that are out there right now, mm-hmm. all of the kind of alcohol memoirs. And they were amazing and brave and beautiful and they helped me so much, but I didn't see myself in them. Mm-hmm. I never had that like, oh, me too moment because they were all sort of stories of women who were like in the depths right. of Extreme. addiction and they were fighting their way back from rock bottom. And I couldn't relate to that, right? I wasn't hiding bottles around the house and you know, drinking a bottle of wine by myself every day and all that. I say that with no judgment because mm-hmm. it could have been me at some point. I don't know. But I didn't see myself reflected in those stories. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to tell it myself. I wanted to tell my story because I know there's a lot of other people that can relate. So how do you define the gray area? Well, there's no perfect definition, right? This isn't a medical diagnosis, mm-hmm. right? But typically it's someone who is drinking more than is considered moderate, but they're not physically addicted, mm-hmm. right? They're not physically addicted, but they're drinking more than the kind of guidelines for moderate drinking. Yeah. When you say gray area to me, I think of someone who uses it as a coping mechanism, like at the end of a long day, or, you know, the kids are fighting a lot or whatever, you think, okay, well, having a glass or two of wine is going to take the edge off and relax me. And that becomes a habit. Yes. And that is where I was. It was a glass or two every evening. And especially I would say during the pandemic, this all kind of escalated. It was still a glass or two in the evening and I would sit down and I would watch the news with my wine and kind of like, you know, the anxiety would increase as I watched the world kind of imploding on the Uh news. And I mean, all of this was bad for my mental health, right? But things really seemed to escalate from 2020 on. And I know lots of women were in that same situation because as mothers, we were put in this impossible position by COVID, right? Mm -hmm. We faced more stress than ever. We were making impossible decisions every day. And so alcohol use among women especially rose dramatically during Mm -hmm. COVID. Yeah. You said that you kind of automatically adopted the mommy wine culture. And I feel like probably the mommy wine culture really got a huge boost during the pandemic. I know so many people just started that didn't really drink very often started drinking on a regular basis. Yeah. And for you personally, I mean, I know that with the pandemic, I mean, with that, you were dealing with a lot of life like huge life challenges. I don't, and I'm wondering, like, 
Do you think that kind of tipped the scales for you? I don't know if this is something that you want to talk about. No, I mean, I'm fine talking about it. And it definitely played a role. So, you know, 2020 was awful for everyone, right? I think we kind of universally joke about it at this point. But right in the middle of the pandemic, my husband was diagnosed with throat cancer and had to start undergoing treatment. And, you know, in the midst of COVID, when we were all isolated and had to be especially isolated because Mm -hmm. he was going to have a suppressed immune system and all of that. He had to go to daily radiation and weekly chemo and all of this. And I had young kids and I could nobody could help. I couldn't send them to the neighbors because, I mean, so it was just crazy. And he was also laid off the week that he started treatment. So it was, I mean, and I vividly remember we were at our lake house which is this the scene of the crime for a lot of this like reckoning that happened in 2021 mm-hmm. for me. You'll hear me talk about it, but he got the call about the layoff and we, it wasn't a total surprise, but we kind of thought they're certainly not going to do this right before you start chemo. Right. And they did. And I remember walking down to our dock, chugging two cans of White Claw while Mm -hmm. I called my best friend crying to, you know, and it was this like, oh my gosh, I need a drink. Like, how else am I supposed to handle this? Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the way it was through 2020 as we faced just kind of one thing after another and then a death in the family. And then my in-laws were hit by a crazy kind of scam that targets the elderly, you Mm -hmm. know, one of those money, like Dateline special kind of things. And it was just one thing after another. And it was like, oh my gosh, pour me some freaking wine. Yeah. I mean, and I would, I mean, anybody hearing this would think, well, of course. I mean, like, that's yeah. so much stuff. <laughs> it's so hard. I mean, and if that's something that you already, you know, was kind of already in your life, it's honestly like no wonder. But I think uh, people who know you from Instagram, you have a huge Instagram following, were probably shocked when you made this, when you had this revelation, because yes, you founded this account as like a health and fitness, for lack of a better word, guru. And so I guess, did you kind of keep this hidden? Or did you talk about, you know, your enthusiastic social drinking as also somebody who is into health and wellness? Well, it's sort of, it kind of embarrasses me now because I did talk about it. I kind of framed my whole social media presence as this like, healthy mom who still loves wine and working out. And I leaned into the whole mommy wine culture thing hard. It was like a pillar of my persona on social Mm -hmm. media. I shared all the wine memes. I even did this like god awful series where it was like a Friday wine workout. And I mean, it was like the worst of the worst, right? I mean, you can scroll back through my Instagram and see all of this stuff. It's like a history of my stupidity. But I left it all there because I also think it's like a roadmap of my growth. I mean, I was like, the stereotype of the mommy wine culture. And I finally started in 2021 when I had my kind of awakening. I realized that it disgusted me. I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. I realized there were so many things wrong with that whole mommy wine culture. And I think a lot of this coincided with Two, my kids were getting older. And when they're little, we think, oh, they're not paying any attention. They don't notice. I mean, they notice more than we think, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But they were getting older and they were really paying attention and they knew what it meant to get drunk and they knew what 
I mean, they were really watching and it made me really uncomfortable. And I started to really digest kind of where the mommy wine thing had gone and realized that I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. It felt really icky. Do you think that you kind of leaned into it as like a way to tell yourself it was okay until you realized like that it was icky? Yeah, I think I did. Also kind of thought it was funny and people could relate to it. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I loved red wine and it was sort of in the name of, you know, we hear this a lot in the fitness world now, like you don't have to give up the things that you Mm -hmm. love in order to be healthy. Right. That's true to an extent, right? But there's a difference between saying like, I love chocolate and I'm never going to give that up just to like lose that last two pounds. There's a difference between that and saying, I'm not going to give up a bottle of wine a day or (laughs) whatever it is. Like, that's not what it should look like. Yes. And so I want to talk about the role of running in your recovery or I guess we can call it recovery. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, even though you weren't in, what did you see? Okay. So I'm imagining when you're talking about this, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine being hungover and trying to be a mom to three boys like that. I mean, I don't do well when I'm tired and trying to be a patient mom, let alone just like feeling really sick and then feeling like the level of shame on top of it. So to me, I'm thinking, okay, That's part of the ickiness of the mommy wine culture that she's talking about. Don't want to put words in your mouth, but is that part of it? What else was kind of just not sitting well with you that you were like, okay, something has to change and it's not like, oh, I'm only going to drink on Fridays and Saturdays. I know, like I need to completely cut this out. Well, yeah, I can tell you how it happened. So it was the summer of 2021 and that summer escalated for a sort of a very different reason, right? The world was kind of opening again after COVID. And like I mentioned, we have this lake house and it had been over a year since any of our friends and family had come to visit. And usually in the summer, we're kind of like a revolving door. Everybody's coming for weekends and it's like vacation, right? Mm -hmm. So the world was opening up. We had people scheduled every weekend. We were so excited to see everyone. So you get to the lake and you feel like you're on vacation. So you want to drink like you're on vacation, right? Mm -hmm. And my husband and I were good at managing that when it was just us there forever. But when new people were coming every weekend, it was a vacation for them and they were ready to like throw down, right? (laughs) So we would drink all weekend and not in like an obnoxious way, but you Mm -hmm. know, it would be like a white claw on the the guys would start drinking beer in the mornings. We'd have wine with dinner. It was just kind of like, oh, let's make margaritas. And the weekend would end and I would feel miserable. And it wasn't just hangover kind of thing. It was my mental health that was taking this serious toll, mm-hmm. right? So I would wake up on Monday. I would kind of slip into a depressive episode. I'd have that this crazy anxiety. I'd have the shame. I'd have all of this. And I felt horrible, Mm -hmm. And it would be like Thursday when I finally recovered, Mm -hmm. right? And then we would head back to the lake and the whole cycle would start over again. And it was like building up inside of me. Like I felt like a shell of a person. I thought I was miserable, but I couldn't totally articulate. I mean, I was just blind. It was obvious what was causing the problem. I was just avoiding it. Mm -hmm. And one morning I woke up and I was supposed to go on a long run. And I hadn't even had a lot to drink the night before. But, you know, in your 40s, it's like one glass of wine could leave me feeling horrible. Right. 
And I woke up and I had the hot chills and the spins and I, you know, my stomach was churning. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is it. This is the last time I'm going to be hungover. I'm done. I am like, there's never going to be a good time. There's never going to be a perfect way to do this. But I think I'm done. And I was like, this is it. And so I went back to sleep. I like fought through my hangover for that day. And that was the last time I drank. It was August 6th of 2021. And, you know, another big part of that was that, like I mentioned, my boys getting older and kind of paying attention. I never got drunk in front of my boys. Mm -hmm. I was never drinking to that point. I was always very mindful of that. But the other people who would come didn't Mm -hmm. care. And we had some friends who drink really heavily. And they would, I mean... I'm just watching my kids watch them. And I was like, this is not okay. So the whole thing just combined kind of led to that morning and me saying I was done. I was walking away. And I was really excited through that to see what running would feel like Mm -hmm. when I was kind of phasing out when my body started healing and there were no more hangovers and there were no more, you know, because running is, like you mentioned, it's miserable if you're hungover, you're dehydrated. And I fought through a lot of runs like that. And it wasn't, I mean, I was giving my body too many things to recover from. It had Mm -hmm. no idea what was going on. So I couldn't wait to see what running was like. I love that this pinnacle moment happened. Basically, like you were choosing... Your long runs over alcohol. (laughs) I mean, obviously all everything, all the wonderful things and like life just being more enriching, sober. And I also love how descriptive you are because I think a lot of people listening to you can probably put themselves in your spot very easily or with any other kind of, I guess, negative or toxic behavior. And maybe this kind of turns on a light bulb for them that like maybe the, you know, it's, the link isn't direct or isn't in your face, but this listening to you will help them maybe see that, okay, I I feel this way. I have this depressive attitude or this fog or whatever because of something that I was doing in the days prior. Or I hope so. I think so, for sure. It's crazy because our sort of cultural expectations for drinking, I mean – We use it to celebrate. We use it to deal with stress. We use it to have fun. We use it to mark special occasions. You know, over the holidays, there are so many reasons and excuses to drink that even if you're just drinking socially, you can get sucked in and you can start feeling this way without really even tying it back because you think, I'm just a social drinker. I just drink when it's sort of expected. It's expected way too much. We need to redefine how we think of normal drinking, right? Yes. Yes. And also, like you, to your point about it being extreme, like if somebody is drinking when it's expected, but it's making, it's having these negative impacts on their life, but then they can tell themselves, well, but I'm not an alcoholic or I'm not getting smashed or, you know, I'm not drinking every day, but that doesn't mean that just because you're not the extreme, it's not causing issues. It's not a problem. Right. And I think part of, like I mentioned before, I think part of the problem is the way we use these labels, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, people in the recovery world will scream that I don't call myself an alcoholic and say, well, then I haven't confronted, you know, I have no problem with the word. You can call me whatever you want. But I think the labels are part of the problem because, you know, people go out there, they feel awful and they Google, am I an alcoholic? And they don't meet all everything on that list. And so they say, oh, I'm fine. I'm not Mm -hmm. supposed to be having any issue, right? 
problem doesn't have a specific look. It's not like a woman walking around with a bottle and a brown paper bag. A problem <laughs> can look like me or you or anyone else. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be extreme. It doesn't need a label. That is a really eye-opening and excellent point, I think. So what was it, August 6th, 2000? It was August 6th, yeah. August 6th, 2021. 2021. And so did you just never look back? Was it hard for you? Like you had this eye-opening moment and you were never tempted to have a glass of wine again or? No, it was not that easy. I yeah. Wish it was. I would now, imagine. <laughs> I had an easier road than a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't go to rehab. I didn't have to deal with the symptoms of withdrawal. I didn't have, you know, I count my blessings. I was able to say I'm done and then walk away. But it wasn't easy. But the biggest part was really just It wasn't like physical cravings. It was just kind of learning how to move through the world, a world that's kind of revolves around booze, right? Mm -hmm. And figure out who I was without it and how to cope and how to handle all these different situations and how to go through all these firsts and how to hang out with my friends and just all of those things. It was just kind of one day at a time, figuring it out, reading tons of self-care, And it was not easy. I mean, there's still things where like on a sunny day, I'm like, oh, a glass of white wine. And then I'm like, oh, no. But I think about what that really means. And I'm not tempted. But really kind of navigating the social aspect is probably the toughest for a lot of people. It certainly was hard for me. Did you receive any sort of backlash, I guess, first from your friends or your family and then second in social media? I feel really blessed in that the people who really love and care about me were, they were kind of surprised because no one really knew (laughs) that any of this was going on inside of me. I mean, even my husband was kind of like, what? What do you mean? Shame? You know, I kept it so, I just Mm -hmm. internalized it all and I was embarrassed and so I didn't talk about it. So I think the only kind of backlash I got in the beginning was sort of like, disbelief. Like, I don't think people really believed that Mm -hmm. it was going to last or that it was a real thing or, and you know, you get really kind of ignorant, patronizing comments from people if you're out and, well, why Mm. don't you just drink moderately? You know, the things like that. (laughs) You were like, I was. (laughs) Right. I was trying. That just doesn't work for everyone. That's not even a thing. Like, there's no definition of moderate drinking. I mean, it's such a, I mean, it's so tricky. But on social media, people were amazingly supportive also. I didn't, you know, you get the occasional troll that'll jump up when I Mm -hmm. talk about certain aspects of mommy wine culture or things like that. But for the most part, people have been really supportive. And you didn't get a bunch of unfollows or anything like that? Well, I did, I think, in the sense that there was some attrition because I totally changed my focus on my page, right? Uh I was no longer kind of talking about like fitness for the average mom. I was talking more about just my running and the alcohol-free life. And there were definitely people that were like, what? And left. And that's fine. But then Mm -hmm. I kind of grew a lot of followers in the alcohol-free space, which is huge community on Instagram. I had no idea until I stumbled my way into it. Oh, okay. Well, I am sure you've helped countless people kind of see the light 
in a way. Oh, thank because, you. I hope so. Well, because I just think probably a lot of people were like how you were, you know, well, everybody else is doing it and I am not drinking vodka in my bathroom, you know, so this isn't a problem. It's okay. This is socially acceptable and, but, and not just like being introspective and realizing that like, but no, but there are negative ramifications because of what's happening, what I'm doing. Okay. So let's talk about how your running has now kind of opened up and how that helped you with your sobriety. Yeah. I mean, I would say I'm a better runner because I'm sober and I'm better at being sober because I'm a runner, if that makes sense. No, totally. Well said. The two went so well together. When I quit drinking that August, I felt, I mean, an improvement so quickly. Now, I never want to imply that you quit drinking and it's going to solve all your mental health problems. I mean, that's not Mm -hmm. the case. But it was very clear in my case that drinking is what was causing a lot of those problems. So a lot of those symptoms were alleviated so quickly. And I was, like I said, I was excited to see what it felt like to run without any hangover, without, it was like I could feel my body repairing myself and I couldn't wait each day to go for my run because each day I felt a little bit better. And running, it was like my therapy, right? It gave me the space to think through so many tough situations that I was dealing with. It gave me a place to, you know, set goals that I could work for that really kind of helped when I was going through this huge transition. It was kind of like the thing that was stable when everything else was in upheaval. And I leaned into it and it just, it felt so good. It brought the joy back and everybody would say, yo, don't what music do you listen to when you run or I was like nothing I'm like there's so much going on in my head I just need you know I'm just it's just me and my head and I loved it it felt amazing and then it kind of morphed into over the past year it was like okay now I'm kind of over the hump of dealing with the alcohol stuff I really want to see what I can do as a runner now that I'm not drinking and, you know, working with you was such a treat over this past year, but going into a marathon cycle, unfortunately, you know, it ended up being my slowest race, even though I was at my healthiest ever kind of physically and mentally, but I was coming off of an injury and I had all this crazy gut stuff going on, but it was the best marathon experience I've had because I learned how to undo all of these bad running habits. (laughs) And I don't think I would have been able to go through this process if I had still been drinking. So it's just been, it's been so therapeutic and I can't wait to keep going. I just, you amazed me throughout your entire training cycle with your positive attitude. Like you checked yourself whenever any of those habits would come up of, oh, well, I used to run this page or that so many of us do and you just recognized it and then you pushed it aside and you held on to the joy and gratitude to be able to run and I just like was so proud of you and just like inspired by you you. um throughout the entire like I like anytime anything came up with sickness or life or if you know a little niggle happened I was like Hadley's got it I am not worried about her like traveling and getting your long run done, you know, while traveling. I mean, you just handled it all so gracefully and you got it done and you were positive throughout the entire thing. So I'm excited for what's to come for you. You You know, get that. that. And the fact that like 
you knew going so many people, you know, they're like, I, every marathon you want to run a PR, but like you knew that wasn't possible given the time, like the time of training that you had, but you were like all about it and totally And the weather was warm for the race. And you were just oh like, oh my gosh. Yeah. You were that's like, a no, whole I, nother. I, yeah. You were just like, no, this is great. I am going to love every step no matter what. It was amazing. It was awesome. And it was my most joyful marathon until mile 24. It was joyful. And <laughs> yeah. And I just, I don't know what it would have looked like if I was still going oh, this thing came up or I have this niggle and I'm so frustrated. Oh, I'm going to have a glass of wine. You know, if I had used my old coping mechanisms, I don't know where it would have ended up. So we were talking a little bit before we press record that Runner's World this past month had an article on, and the, the title was, Does Running Have a Drinking Problem? And you had some thoughts on that I would love to hear because I know that it just seems like for whatever reason, like drinking is becoming more prominent with running and they just seem like they're at odds. I mean, study after study shows that even just like a glass of wine is going to negatively impact your recovery. And the only benefit that I've ever seen is that like, you know, ultra runners will drink or smoke or something to like, you know, numb um, numb the pain so that they can keep going. I mean, but not that that, and obviously like if you're a, competitive runner, you're not going to do that. But yeah, so I would love to hear like your, so it's almost like, okay, we have the mommy wine culture that's growing, but now we also have this like drinking and running culture that's also growing. Yeah, it's fascinating. I have lots of thoughts on this. I was telling you, I actually have, I have a whole chapter in my book about the kind of running and drinking connection. And it follows a lot of parallels with the mommy wine connection too, right? A lot of this is like the work of big alcohol, right? We don't necessarily think of like big alcohol as a machine, just like we used to talk about big pharma or big tobacco, right? right? And a lot of what's happened with big alcohol really mirrors what went on with big tobacco back in the, you know, 80s or whatever. And they've really used, it's like a combination of marketing and pop culture have made us believe that the two go really well together. And I'm like, running and drinking, how did that, how is that even right. a thing? Oh, like even when I was an enthusiastic drinker, I couldn't fathom drinking a beer at the end of a marathon or a half marathon. I mean, it just sounds awful to me. And I feel like it has escalated dramatically. I don't know if you noticed this, but and I think I'm just a lot more aware and sensitive to it. Around the time of the New York Marathon, there was this explosion with a certain beer company sponsoring women, female runners, like crazy, right? Elite runners, well-known runners, but also kind of like everyday, just Instagram influencer runners. And it was all done in the name of like the ad campaign was expertly crafted to be focused on promoting inclusivity and diversity in the sport. What a bizarre message, right? right? There was a whole team of women in the New York Marathon running with Mick Ultra logos sharpied on their arms. I'm like, this is just such a bizarre message that we're sending to women out there that it's drinking is normal. Everyone does it. Everyone should be able to do it. Drinking is a great way to reward yourself for a hard run. 
an alcohol that's something that has torn apart communities and hurt women and all of this. Now we're drinking it in the name of inclusion and <laughs> diversity. It just seems so backwards to me. And, you know, I never want to imply that you can't be a healthy runner, a good athlete, and still drink responsibly. That is not my point. I'm not out to banish alcohol right, from the world. Vilifying or, people that drink. Right. No judgment for those who drink. I just think it would be so much healthier if we stopped connecting the two. However, women are basically the biggest target of big alcohol right now because it was determined that there have been all kinds of studies on this that, that women are targeted because it was the way to increase the bottom line. That was mm. the only way to expand market share was to get more women drinking. Because the men so, were already drinking. So, yeah. right. Yeah. The Richmond Marathon that I did in November, I think I told you about this after the fact. There were people giving out White Claws and beers to runners along the course. There was a mimosa table. There were people handing out fireball shots. Every fifth sign was something about, hurry, you're almost done so you can start drinking. And it was, like you mentioned, it was hot. It was freakishly hot. It was 75 degrees and humid in November. It was like a fall race where I didn't need any cold. It, I mean, I was hot at the starting line. Mm -hmm. It was brutal. And even hydrating meticulously, I almost imploded around mile 24 because I, you know, I got the hot chills. I was trying not to puke. People were dropping like flies. What if I'd been taking fireball shots along the way? It was on the course? Yes, on the course. That is insane. And people were doing it. People were drinking mimosas as they ran by. They were grabbing a mimosa or a white claw. And it was like... I mean, we're runners. Yeah, yes. Like, they are definitely at, I mean, one is very healthy for your body and one is not. Yeah, that's, on, I have not seen that. Now, I know during, for Boston, people, like, uh, of their own volition, not as part of, like, the race volunteers will have beer. And so, you, yeah, yeah, it's like, this don't was not grab cups from random people. Yeah. Yeah. This was not like race sanctioned stops. It wasn't right, like a mimosa yeah. stop, but it <laughs> but was people still, who had come out. Yes. It was bizarre. That, yes. And so I guess, it, yeah, it's like a cult. Well, like you said, one is like just slick marketing, trying to boost the bottom line. And then the other is just like for, you know, historically speaking, like culture, like anything, we always, alcohol is always rooted in something celebratory. So it's like you finish a marathon, we'll celebrate with beer. And I mean, Marathon Recovery 101 is bypass the beer and go straight to the electrolyte drink. If you want exactly. to recover well, you need those fluids because the alcohol is going to dehydrate you. And your stomach's probably kind of wrecked anyway. So I don't, I mean, that's never been me. But um, yeah, I can't imagine. I just think, I mean, there are ways to drink responsibly as an athlete or just your everyday runner. But my whole point is let's stop like glamorizing and highlighting mm -hmm. this link between the two. Same with mommy wine. Like mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with having your drink. Do, but just let's stop making such a big deal about this connection because it sends just this strange toxic message to other women and rising runners in the world. You know, all our younger runners that I don't know. It just seems to be setting a bad example. That's right. Like, yes. Like, in order for you to be in the in crowd or accepted, 
you need to do this. And then, of course, like it's also sending a message to our children who are around, who are observing, who are soaking this in because we know they're sponges, even if we think they're not paying attention. Yes, for sure. What are some other key takeaways that you would want the listeners to hold on to? I think, I mean, one of my key takeaways is always just, you know, be willing to look inward and examine your relationship with alcohol periodically. Don't be afraid to look at it. I think we automatically think, oh, if there's a problem, there's something I need to tweak. It's something to be ashamed of, embarrassed of, to hide, or there's something wrong with you. And it's not. Like, think of all the ways we focus on self-care now and we read these amazing self-help books. I mean, it's just another example of something you can do to kind of keep yourself in check and always be working towards that best version of you. You know, dry January is there's kind of conflicting views on dry January. I think it's great. Any, you know, it's someone who realized that they were drinking too much, taking a break for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. Your body is always going to thank you for drinking less alcohol. So don't be afraid to try it and just see how you feel. And if you are struggling, stop thinking that you're alone because you're certainly not. I mean, there are so many people fighting this battle and I'm almost embarrassed that I thought I was alone for so long and I didn't have to be. And just remember that it doesn't matter if your problem looks like anyone else's problem. If it's a problem for you, then that's all you need to know. You don't have to hit rock bottom before you can make a change. In fact, it's going to be a lot easier to change if you're not coming back from rock bottom, right? So that's kind of the way I look at it. I think all of that is so empowering. And I really love your point that you're not alone. I mean, with anything, whether it's alcohol or if it's something else, if it's a challenge with your kids, if it's, I mean, if it's a challenge with your parenting stuff, I mean, what food, whatever it is, like, I love how vulnerable you are and how brave you are, like I said in the beginning of this. And when you put yourself out there, like it not only helps other people, but it helps yourself because I would say, you know, 10 times out of 10, you are not alone and there's no need to struggle by yourself. Absolutely. Yep. I so agree. where can people find you and what is the timeline on the book if you have one? Yes. Underscore Sorensen. That's kind of my main platform right now since I've kind of been shifting away from my fitness business and into the sobriety world more. I would also love if anyone wanted to check me out on the Lived app. It's L-I-V-E-D. And there is a seven-day free trial. And it is so refreshing because it's a place for anyone who is thinking about looking at their relationship with alcohol in any way. It's not just for people who want to quit or, you know, even if you're just curious thinking about it. And there's a seven-day trial for free. And there's eight courses that I have out there now, plus a ton of others from other guides that just kind of help with all different aspects of sobriety that, you know, the things you're trying to figure out when you're first Mm -hmm. getting started. And it's just based on other people's experiences. And then the timeline for the book. So my manuscript is done. And right now I'm working on finding an agent to work with. So if we have any friends in the publishing world out there, let me know because this is the hard part. I'm in it. I've been told that this is where I have to embrace rejection and get really good at hearing no and just go with the flow. But I'm here for it. I'm excited. I'm ready. 
Before I ventured into the mother runners, I actually worked for a book marketing company. Yeah. I feel like so I might have known that. I can send you the CEO's info. She may know some agents that would be a good fit oh, for you. Oh, awesome. Well, that's super exciting. And I know and I hope that people listening to this feel empowered and reflect inward and I mean, I think that's probably the hardest part is as cliche as it sounds is just kind of admitting that it, you know, that it may be a problem or that, you know, you do want to change, even though you know that it'll be a difficult road and it'll be hard, but with change comes growth. It's so worth it. That's, I mean, that's been my biggest lesson through all of this. I thought I was giving something up and I gained so much in return. It wasn't a sacrifice at all. That's so wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and being so open and just making the time to chat with me. Thank you. It was such an honor. I'm just so pleased that you asked me to do this. (laughs) I'm so happy you said yes. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you again, Hadley. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. You can find full show notes for every episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways and quotes and any of the resources we mentioned at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating and review. If you're liking the content, you can also do that at ratethispodcast.com slash passionate runner. And we'll read these out on future episodes. Talk to you next time.